this is the Christian artist and it's just me today so because uh, we're gonna be on vacation for about a week and a half here um, well Connor for a week and then me for a week and a half uh, I thought we this would be a good time to release some bonus episodes that we've been having on the backlog for a while now and uh, this is from the Ten Commandments series we did at our youth group a while back this is me speaking on theft thou shalt not steal take it away past me So, we are going to be talking about theft today. So, when we're talking about all the commandments, right, we're talking about ultimately what love is. That sounds a little weird at first. You're like, wait a second, I thought we were talking about, like, law, right? Isn't this, like, isn't that different? But, right, all of the commandments are there to basically let us know how to love people better, right? So, I mean, think about it, right? Love people and and god right so love for god and neighbor is what the commandments are about right so first four commandments who can name off real quick as review right have you been paying attention to this series at all what is what's the first commandment love the lord your god with all your you know well it that's the that's the great commandment but you shall not have any god before me right that's that's the first commandment. second commandment don't make any graven images third commandment So what AJ spoke on. Yeah? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's the fourth one. Who remembers the third one? No. Thou shalt not use the name of the Lord in vain. Yeah. Right? So what do those first four commandments have in common? Thou shalt not do something. Well, yes. Besides that. (laughs) Right? They're about loving God. If you love God, you won't put another God before him. If you love God, you won't make a graven image of some other God. If you love God, you won't use his name in vain. If you love God, you'll keep his day holy. The next six commandments are about the latter portion of this, right? Love for God and love for neighbor. Loving your neighbor means you don't kill them, right? You don't lie to them. You don't covet their stuff. And then we're going to talk about tonight, right? We don't steal from them. So Exodus 20:15, you shall not steal. So all of this has to do, right? This this was extrapolated in more full in a more full way um, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees a certain question. So it says in Matthew 22, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Right? So they're like all right, if we can get Jesus to trip up here and say that one of these commandments is better than the other commandment, then we can be like, ha! Why do you think that commandment's better? I, what do you think? You think just stealing from people is the best commandment? What about all these other commandments, right? They're trying to trip him up somehow. They, they thought of a bunch of different ways to try to trip Jesus up. This was not one of their clever ones. Um, and Jesus said, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, all of them. There's not a single one of the Ten Commandments that is less important than the other. In in some ways, right, the first greatest commandment is love the Lord your God, right? In some ways, that is more important than loving your neighbor. But if you love the Lord your God you will love those in whose image they are made, right? So 
Loving God and loving neighbor are what all of these commandments are about. So when we're talking about theft, we have to talk about love. What does it mean to love people? So it says in Romans 13, right after we talked about, right after, right after Romans 13 talks about government and uh, like obeying the authorities, it says, just kind of as a capstone to this, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Right? So what all of these commandments are for, first and foremost, I mean, one, obeying God, right, because he commanded them, but also God is giving us a blueprint on how to love people. Right? So this is one of the things that I think maybe we get wrong in our current society because we, we, we talk about love a lot, right? You agree? In, in American Christianity, we talk about love all the time, right? It's one of the things we talk about the most. But the thing we talk about the least is how to love people because we ignore these commandments. We ignore what the Ten Commandments are saying, and we just talk about love as this kind of ephemeral, like, thing that just exists. Like, just be loving to people. Love on people. But we never really get into the nitty-gritty of what does it mean to love people. And specifically, right, maybe we come up with reasons why you should love people and, and ways to do it. But we don't usually go back to scripture to point the way as to what is loving and what isn't. Sometimes you kind of make it up. Well, this feels loving to me, right? But that's not what love is. Love is the fulfilling of the law. If you love someone, you will fulfill the law towards them. You won't commit murder. You won't steal from them. So when we talk about theft, we have to talk about love. So first we're going to talk about love for God. So when, we have to under, when we're talking about theft, we have to understand the first and foremost thing, the first and foremost reason why you should not steal is the fact that God ultimately owns everything, right? God owns everything. There's a couple of verses that talk about this. We'll go through three of them. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Right? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Deuteronomy 10.14. 1 Chronicles 29.11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So God's sovereignty is really important in this conversation, right? We talked about this a little bit at Phantom Ranch. There's two aspects to God's sovereignty. Last time we talked about God's sovereignty, we talked about God's control, right? God controls everything. He decrees everything. But also, there's an aspect of God's sovereignty related to his rulership, right? Not so much as his control is over... His control over things is not as relevant to this, this conversation as his rule over everything as king is, right? He is the boss. He owns the world. He created it. He gets to decide how it's run. He gets to decide what we as people do because he owns us too. And so he is the king. So when we talk about any commandment being a violation of the greatest command to love God, we have to remember that when we steal, we are telling God, I don't think the person you gave this to should have it. We try to thwart God's sovereign delegation, right? He delegates ownership of things to other people 
and we're telling him, no, that wasn't okay. I think this should go to me instead. And we violate God's will in that way. So another aspect of this is loving your neighbor, right? Loving love for neighbor. So God owns everything, but he doesn't, he doesn't, like, ultimately he, he will always own everything and everything will be his because he created things. But he, he delegates ownership. He gives ownership of resources on planet earth to other people. Um, so, I mean, right in the garden, right? You have that right away. God created the world and then he gave the garden to Adam and Eve. Um, and so it says in, so one of the things we have to talk about, right, when we're talking about theft is if God delegates ownership to someone, then who are we to say, who are we to, t- to try to take that from them, right? This is God's sovereign creator to have this thing um, by delegating ownership of something. But yeah, let, let's talk about what the Bible says about property as a thing, right? If, we, if we're talking about why it's wrong to steal, what does the Bible say about property and what the rights are of people who own things? Because there's, I mean, there's a lot of conversation that has happened over the centuries of history, over the millennia of history, that about what property is, right? Like who can own property, what property even means. Like there's a large uh, school of thought that basically says, yeah, like private property isn't a thing. Um, everyone should own everything communally. And there's a lot of philosophy on that. But what does the Bible say about property? So let's go to Acts 5. It says in Acts 5, 1 through 4, it says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. He's familiar with this story. Right? Ananias is Sapphira, right? And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was, it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So this is a really great passage to remember when we're talking about what the Bible says about property. What was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah. They kept part of the money that they sold the land for, for themselves. No. What was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira? They lied about it. They lied about it. Right? Let's go back to this, right? Peter is saying, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? You didn't have to sell this property. And afterwards, it was sold. Was it not at your disposal? Could you not have done with the money anything you wanted with it? Right? They could. This is what Peter is saying. You could have given part of this money and then just told us the truth, said, this is what we sold it for. Here's part of it. We're giving it to the church. And Peter would have been like, great, that sounds awesome. Thank you for being generous with your money, right? Because that's what God's commands us to do, be generous with our money. But it does not command us to force other people to give, the, give us their stuff, right? And so his sin wasn't that he didn't give them all the money. His sin was that he told them he had given them all the money while he had kept back some of it for himself, right? Peter told, Peter told them, it was yours. You could do with it as you wish. God sovereignly delegated from the, from the foundation of the earth, right? Because God decreed all of history. He said, Ananias and Sapphira, you would have this thing and you can do whatever you want with it because it's your thing. You can sell it, you can keep it, you can live on it. It's yours. If they had just given that portion of the money to the church and kept the rest for themselves and not lied about it, 
it would have been fine. God gave them resources to do with as they will. They had control over it, right? He delegated authority over that piece of property to Ananias and Sapphira. They had it. But they had to make that decision for themselves, right? Peter couldn't guilt them into giving more. And maybe they had some sort of selfish intention, even if they had lied. Maybe they would have been like, I mean, and then maybe, so let's, let's posit a situation, right? Like, maybe there was a situation where there was someone really in need, and Ananias and Sapphira were selling this piece of land, and they looked at that person, and they were like, Ugh, they could really use all of this money but we want to keep this money for some selfish purpose of ours. We don't really need it, but we're going to keep it. That would be a sin as well. But Peter couldn't go up to them and say, no, I'm forcing you. We're going to take some of the church guards. We're going to come up to your house and you need to give that money to that person, right? That's not how it works, right? God gave them authority over their thing. And they, yeah, they'll be judged for that, their use of that thing. But God gave them the authority over it. Who has younger siblings here? Does anyone have younger siblings? Every, almost everyone in the room, wow. So has anyone come across a situation where you, you're, maybe, you're, maybe you're younger, right? And you're playing with a toy of yours, one of your favorite toys. And your small sibling comes up to you and grabs the thing out of your hand and says, no, I'm gonna play with this. And then he starts playing with it and you're like, Mom, he took my toy. Your mom comes over. She's really tired. She has had a long day. She looks at you and she says, just let him have it. Just share, okay? Who, who's had that sort of thing happen? It happens nowadays. Yeah, it happens now, right? It's yeah, all the time. The thing is, we have to give for a preface for this whole thing. We have to give parents a little bit of credit. They are very tired a lot of the time. And sometimes they do not care about justice. They just want quiet. That's all they want. And so, but, but this, is the, this is the thing to keep in mind, right? What are parents teaching their children when they say that, right? It's your, it's your toy, and your younger sibling steals it from you and is playing with it, and, the, and your, your parent is like, just let them, ha- just share, please just share, all right? What are they teaching their kids? Which one? I mean, both of them. I mean, well, yeah, but what's the lesson, what's the moral lesson being offered here? Stealing is okay as long as someone higher than you just says it is, right? Right? It's, uh, you should be forced into sharing something of yours with someone else. But that's not what this passage is saying. And when we look at Scripture, when we look at the biblical law for, like, um, for theft, there's never anywhere in Scripture where it is ever, ever said to be okay for anyone to force another person to be generous with their things. They're always given sovereign authority over their property to do with as they will. Right? So Matthew 25 gives us some more information about this. It's a parable of Jesus's. For it... The, the kingdom of God, I think he was talking about here. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property, entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. 
So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. Talents are like coins. It's a denomination of money. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He said a similar thing to the, 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 the servant with two talents. And then he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you know that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. To everyone who has will, who has, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? So this is a parable, right? About the spiritual, um, like the, the kingdom of God, right? So Jesus is coming back the end of history, and he's looking at what people have done with the things that God has given them, like their spiritual gifts and talents, and in the opportunities that he gave them, and he's saying, if you do not live up, if you do not use the things I've given you, there will be judgment for that. I need, you, you need to use the things you have to be productive, to be, to be faithful with, with, with what you've been given. Um, but there's also, I mean, the physical aspect of this is just as sure as the spiritual aspect. God has delegated authority over things to people. You have things. You own things. And God expects you to be wise with those things, to be productive, to be faithful with those things, to help those in need. But that's for God to decide, right? Nobody can come to you and say, I mean, they can. They can come to you and say, I don't think you're being wise with your possessions. I think you should be generous. And they, yeah, they could absolutely come and say that to you, and they, maybe they would be right in doing so. But they cannot force you to do so, right? It is, it is uh, it's not allowed. That's theft. Someone has a thing. You can't take that thing. It's as simple as that. So... Right, God is the master, and we are the servants. He has given us everything we have in material possessions, and we can do whatever we want with them. But this parable is reminding us to remember he gives us the things we have, and he expects us to be faithful with those things, to honor and glorify God with what we do with our stuff, because in the end, God still owns it. He'll come back to claim it. And that's when we'll have to come face-to-face -face with God and answer for every unwise thing we did with our possessions. So, this, I, this is what we're talking about here, right? You have authority over your possessions. It is not an excuse to do bad things with your possessions. You are allowed to, but it will not be good for you if you do. Just as a, as a caveat. So this goes right back to Genesis, as I was saying earlier, right? And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right? This was the first commission God gave to his people. It was to have stewardship over the things he created. He delegated authority to them. He said, go out and claim it. It will be yours. 
fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over it, use it wisely. And it says in Genesis 2.15, right, the first thing God gave them, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Right? God gave Adam and Eve the garden and he tasked them with taking care of it. This theme is given all throughout scripture. God rules the world, but he tasks us with taking ownership over it and being faithful stewards of the things he's given us. Um, so this is, this is a concept that's really interesting, honestly, because a lot of times we maybe get a weird view because of our society's, right now, our, our society's particular view on money we have this weird aversion where it's just like rich people are always bad, poor people are always oppressed, and like that's always the way things are, and like money just kind of in itself, you just don't want to have a lot of it because then people will be looking at you and be like, yeah, you have privilege, all this stuff. Or there's all the negative connotations with having money. God is saying in this passage, go make money. Go take dominion over the things. Make things. Build things. Don't hoard your money. There's another parable for that. Don't hoard your money. Use it, but don't, don't like be poor because, like you give away all your possessions to be poor just because you think being rich is bad somehow, right? That's not, that's not what that means. If, if money is, a, is a, like a, an idol for you, yeah, sure, like get rid of it, right? But there are many, many good, godly business people that I know who have a lot of money and use it very wisely, use it to serve God faithfully, and God has given them that to, to work with. And um, we have to remember, right? Like making money isn't bad. Being good at what you do isn't bad. Working isn't bad. Those are all good things that God wants us to do. That's what all of these, these um, passages are talking about. It's just a, an understanding we have to be wise with those things. Um, so this theme, we're going to be talking about a lot more um, when we have our series on eschatology in February. Um, so dad's going to be talking about called preterism so we're going to be explaining what does revelation even mean and then i'm going to be talking about well okay if revelation revelation means this thing then what's the extrapolation of that and you know that's all for for a later time but we're going to be talking about this idea of taking dominion a little bit more in that uh that series so now we have a firm understanding of how god views the ownership of property right he delegates authority over people to Take, right, so someone, something comes into a new place and they're like, hmm, okay, here's a forest. Cool. No one's around. No one's taking ownership of this forest. I'm going to use this forest. I'm going to cut down some trees. I'm going to make a house. I want to start fishing and hunting and whatever. God's like, awesome, cool. That's what I want you to do. Take dominion over the earth. Go, go do things. Go build things. Go make, uh, get food from animals. Go do a bunch of awesome things. Make technology. Do all those things. He wants you to do those things. Um, and so he, and then he doesn't want people to take those things from you because you have them, you own them, you took dominion over those things. Um, but now we, now we kind of figured that out. Let's talk about theft, right? So we know what God talks about property, what God says about property. What does God say about people who commit theft? What does theft mean? What constitutes theft? What other things can be described as theft besides just like walking up to someone and like saying, Morgan, I'm gonna have your jacket now, right? <laughs> I won't do that to you, don't worry. All right, so we're going to explore this a little bit more. So this all has to do with God's law. Is it still relevant? And uh, I'm going to take a drink of this water. I'm starting to get parched. What? <laughs> Fish can't own things. 
Did you say fish water? Is that what you said? Okay, I want to make sure that I didn't sound really stupid saying that. Yeah, it's just borrow water. They'll get it eventually. Fish can't own property, guys. That's not a thing. But okay, God's law. Is it still relevant? As we go through this series in the Ten Commandments, we have talked about like the abiding relevance, with the importance of, like, yes, this is still relevant. This is still important, right? We've talked about how it's not just a thing for people in the Old Covenant, but people under the New Covenant as well, right? The Old Testament commandments are important. They're still important for the church. But why is it important? What are some of the things we've talked about so far in the series? Why is God's law important? Who remembers? Yeah, because it's God's. He said it. Right? But, like, why, why, can, why can we not just ignore it? Isn't that, isn't that like an old covenant thing? Why, why is it still important in the new covenant? Does anyone know? We're, we've already gone through the verses that talk about this. Right? Jesus himself was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said all of them. He's still, he's like, yeah, the commandments are still important. You can't get rid of them. He came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. He came to fulfill certain parts of the law, right, that were the sacrificial system, various things like that. But the moral law is still important. You should, it, should you not kill, or should you be able to kill people now, right? Is that, that like, obviously, these are still important. You should, still shouldn't do these things. Um, other things we've been learning, right, it's a mirror to allow us to see our sin. We could look at the law and be like, wow, I do not measure up to that. I do these things all the time. Maybe I don't murder people every day, but... I would hope that you don't murder people every day. Well, it's okay if they don't know about it. I think someone would know if you killed them. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you can do it in your heart, too. There you go. Yeah. Don't, do, don't do either of those things. It's also a great evangelism tool. Have you ever met Angel, if you're part of the student leaders, have you ever met Angel Rodriguez, right? This is like the Ray Comfort uh, style evangelism, this is a perfect tool for that, right? You go up to someone and you say, hey, do you think you're a good person? And the person's like, I mean, yeah, I guess. Like, who's going to not say they're a good person? Um, they they're, at least hope they're a good person. Um, and then you'll be like, no, you're not. I mean, you don't say that like that. But they say, yeah, I'm a good person. It's like, oh, okay. Well, uh, this is what the Bible says. It says that people who do this and this and this and this are bad. We're all bad. I've done these things. You've done these things. I guess we're all judged under God's law. And then you can be like, well, look at what Jesus has done to make us not under God's judgment. Right? God still commands obedience from us as Christians, as you said, right? Like, we should still love people. Love is the fulfilling of the law. If you should still love people, we should still follow these commandments. But there's another question, there's another aspect of this that we have to talk about. Does God's civil law still have abiding relevance? Does it matter? Right? And what I mean by that is, like, the punishments for these things. We, should, we all know we shouldn't steal things, right? We all know we shouldn't murder people. We all know all of those things, but what happens when someone does it? What do you do? Right, what is the punishment for these things? What is civil government allowed to do? Right, so we still frame our governments off of this old book from 6,000, or, you know, 6,000 would be the creation of the world. 3,000 years ago or whatever, right? When I don't remember the exact number of years since the Old Testament, or the Exodus was written, but... So let's put it this way, right? How can we know what type of government and laws are best? Should it be these Old Testament laws? Should it be the way that they're described in, uh, in, in Scripture? Or is it something else, right? But what standards should we decide how we function, how a government functions, right? Do we just make it up? Do we just say, like, well, I guess you love people? 
But then, what does that mean? And we just kind of decide for ourselves. That's what most of history has done. They just say, this feels right. I feel that it's a good thing to cut off a thief's hand if they steal something. I think it's probably a good thing, right? They're crippled for life, can't do anything, can't get work. That's a good punishment for them, right? Right? So we have to think to ourselves, what standards should be held up for how we treat theft in a society? Should we just be okay with whatever our culture says? There are questions that need to be answered because this is a matter of whether or not God's standards of justice for the victim will be upheld. We certainly, and I'll just put a stake in the ground right now, we certainly should not just be okay with whatever. These are important questions. These are important things to understand. So let's, I mean, let's, let's, th- let's talk about this, right? What is the punishment for theft in Scripture? Let's just look at it. So we're going to go through a couple of case laws here. Um, case laws are examples given in Scripture of a specific situation and what should be done in that specific situation. It's not an exhaustive list. There is not a list for every single possible situation of theft that could ever happen because that would take forever. And it would not even be exhausted because you could always come up with some other new way to steal from people. Um, especially when you have like today, right? Where there's all sorts of other ways to steal from people that weren't, they weren't even, didn't even exist back then. Um, but it gives us a general principle. These give us a general principle to look to when a country is making laws and trying to judge a criminal. So let's look at this. It says in Exodus 21, when a man opens a pit or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. Hmm. Okay. What's, what's the principle there? What should you do? What's the principle at stake here, right? Like, say, say that... Um, let's, let's maybe put it in a modern context, right? Say Chandler has a camera. And it's just kind of like sitting on the ground. He didn't, he didn't like mean for it to be on the ground, but someone kind of like put it on the ground. And I'm at, I'm at his house for some reason. And I'm just like kind of walking around. And I accidentally like, basically I, I pick up the camera and I'm like, oh, hey, it's a camera. Um, well, here, how about I just kind of put this on this ledge very precariously and leave it there. I'm sure nothing bad will happen to it. And then I walk away and then it falls, pff, breaks. Chandler comes over, what is happened to my camera? And then I'm like, oops, sorry, I put it on the precarious ledge and it fell. It. I should pay for it, right? Now, should I be punished for putting a camera on a precarious ledge? I mean, it depends. Right, so, so this is what, what this scripture is getting at. So when a man opens a pit or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner and the dead beast shall be his. He stole the dead beast from the owner, right? He dug the pit, didn't cover it, didn't make rails around it, right? And the beast fell in. He's responsible for the theft by death of the animal. And so he has to pay the person back. They have to get restoration, restitution for their stolen property. But what scripture doesn't say is people who dig pits and don't cover them should be punished in, you know, for whatever reason, pay a fine to the government. That's not what scripture says. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. There are specific strictures on, on punishments here. 
When one man's ox butts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price. And the dead beast also they shall share. Right? So this isn't, neither of them are really responsible for this. The, their animals just got into a fight and then they both, like, one of them dies. Then they, okay, they're like, okay, well, let's make a deal on this. Sell the live ox so we can both kind of, like, get paid back for this. Because it's kind of an accident. But then, or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and the owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox and the dead beast shall be his. Right? If he's like, yeah, my ox is definitely going to kill your ox, but he just doesn't care. And then his, dead, his ox kills the other guy's ox. Then the government's like, uh, sorry. I mean, you should have known. You're responsible. You're responsible for this person's loss of property. So you have to pay them back. This is the same standard kind of given throughout this. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and pays it and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. The difference here is that this is malicious intent, right? Before it was kind of accidental. It was like reckless. They weren't paying attention. They weren't being wise as they stole someone's property kind of accidentally. This is malicious. This is someone breaks into the person's pen, steals the ox or sheep, kills it, sells it, gets rid of it. Then... He has to repay up to five oxen or four sheep, right? He has to pay them back double, triple, quadruple, quintuple the amount because he has to pay back a lot more because he did it with malicious intent. And the reason for that is because it's all about restoration. God's law is about restoration. It's about restoring the community to what it was before. When someone steals from another person, they've broken a covenant, They've broken a, a covenant of the community, right? They have, they've created a rift between two members of the community, them and the person they stole from. And God's law is there to make whole again. It's saying, you, may, you, you did this accidentally, okay, pay him back so that he can have his stolen property back. You were, respons- you were reckless, you were responsible. If you steal a person's thing maliciously, then you need to pay them back for the stolen property, but you also need to pay them back for the time and energy that it took to get the government to come and, and find you or all this stuff, right? Like a whole bunch of other factors. And also the fact that you need to pay them back because you sinned against them very grievously. And the, you know, the person, the other person, the, the victim could always like say, no, I don't need that much or whatever, right? They have that power. But this is, this is a, to make restoration, to make sure that the people can get along again. And this would mean if a person doesn't have the money for five oxen, he has to work to pay it back. And that will teach him a lesson about theft. It will teach him a lesson about the human being he sinned against. So let's go through a couple of more, right? If a thief is found breaking in and instructs that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt from him. You can protect your property. Someone comes in and tries to steal something, you have the right to attack them because they are violating your property. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, that he shall be sold for his theft. Right? This is another aspect of, of that. So someone is caught in the act of thieving and he's like, all right, you have to pay this back. If you don't have the money, you are going to be sold as a slave or not in the same way that we would sell as like slaves today because that's, it's a different version. This is basically indentured servanthood. You are working to pay back the thing that you stole. And then once you do that, then you're free. There's a, there's a whole bunch of others you can go through. But the, the main point, right, 
If fire breaks out and catches in thorns, so that the stacked grain, the standing grain, the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. The person responsible pays it back. That is the principle we found in scripture for theft. So these are some examples of how God treats theft in the Old Testament. How do we treat theft today in our country? What happens if someone steals something from you? What, what happens? Insurance. Yeah, you hope that you have insurance? What happens if like, uh, the police catch the guy? He goes to jail for an inter- a certain amount of time? Yeah, it's returned if, you, if it's not broken. But what if he sold all your stuff? Do you ever get it back? Yeah, but they, they probably won't, right? But what happens to the thief, right? He gets put in prison for, no, for who knows how long. And the people that bought the stuff, depending on the item, could also get it. Right, they could, yeah, for sure. But, right, but that's the thing, right? When we're looking at God's principles for justice and, and interposed on our society's own standards of justice, they're very la- they're, there's a very stark difference. Because our society says, tough luck, you've got to pay it back yourself because you've been paying into this insurance for for however long, and then I guess you just, I don't know, figure it out. We're not going to do anything about it, really. We're not going to make this guy pay it back to you. We're going to send him to prison where he's, pro- he's definitely not going to be re- rehabilitated back into society. He's probably going to get worse, probably going to do it again because of the conditions in the prison. He's probably going to make a lifestyle out of this. And also, you're going to pay for him living there because of taxes. Right? God's law is so much better because it restores communities. The thief pays it back. However long it takes, he does it because this is about restoration. It's about the person getting back what was stolen from them and the two people being reconciled. This is a story I want to tell. What? Right, it, doesn't go, it doesn't go to the, yeah, if they, if they have to pay a fine, they pay it to the government. They don't pay it to the person they stole from, right? So there's a story that I want to tell real quick about a certain person who um, was stolen from. Now, not, not the typical way that you would steal something from someone, right? This was a, an act of recklessness. They weren't, this person was drunk. They were driving. They shouldn't have been. They were reversing very, very quickly down Liberty Lane. And they hit Hannah Jacobs' car very quickly. Totaled her car. What happened to Hannah? Her insurance couldn't pay for it. She had to pay for it out of her pocket. The person got a DUI, paid a fine to the government. Yeah, didn't, she didn't have insurance. Paid, no. No, neither of them had insurance, right? You had insurance, but it wouldn't pay for the, 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 the issue, right? And, and so what happened, right? She pays a fine to the government because... DUI, right? Gets arrested or whatever. Hannah's still stuck. She has no car. She, the person's not going to pay it back. And look, like, I was there. I, I, I came upstairs after this whole thing had, had, had happened. I didn't even, I wasn't aware that it happened. But she was like at our house when this happened and her car got, got to a Maybe I came back from something. I don't remember. Um, but I got angry hearing this story because I was like, if we followed God's law, this wouldn't happen. The person would have to pay back Hannah. There would be restoration. Hannah would get her stuff back. The person would realize their error. 
The government wouldn't get money off of it because they didn't do anything. God's law is better. So let's, let's dig into this a, bit, a little bit, a bit more. So let's talk about different thefts. What constitutes theft? What can be theft? So theft is always wrong. I feel like this is one of those things that's pretty easy to forget about because it's so obvious. It's like, yeah, I know not to steal from people. Why are we talking about this? I'm not going to steal their money. Like, that's obvious. Like, of course, I know not to steal from people. But I want to spend just a minute here talking a little bit more about the ways in which we in our society have become kind of desensitized to theft. We kind of just are okay with some forms of theft. Let's look at another of Jesus' parables. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, another coin, he sent them into his vineyard. And going, about, going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. He gathered more people. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, go into the vineyard too. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those were hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the denarius. And, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. So this story is again about a deeper spiritual meaning, right? God chooses who he wants to save whenever he wants to save them, and other people he saved don't get to grumble about their companions in heaven, right? The Jews can't say, we don't want the Gentiles here. Why did you save them, God? They were saved in the last hour, right? We've been faithful for however long, right? This is a parable about Jews and the Gentiles primarily, you know, God is saying, I am choosing to save who I save, and you don't get to grumble about it, right? You don't get to decide. I do, because I am the one who is saving. I'm the one who's giving the people their wages. But the point he makes is also a physical point. A business owner can do what he wants with his own property and money, right? If this wasn't true in real life, he wouldn't be able to make a parable out of it, right? If he wants to be generous with the money he gives someone, he should be able to, as long as he doesn't lie and not give someone a wage they we were promised, he can do whatever he wants with his own possessions. That's a principle found in the Old Testament law and throughout scripture. Um, our current government, however, makes all sorts of laws, laws limiting business owners and forcing them to pay their workers whatever the state decides, not what is agreed upon between two people. And it leads not only to sin, because you're essentially stealing the business owner's property from them, he can't decide what to do with it, so does he really own it? but also to hardship, because what, what that means is he has to hire less people than he wanted to. So some people are out of a job. That's how the minimum wage works, right? If you cut off wages at a certain point, then no one can be hired under that wage. So someone whose labor may only be worth $2, someone's just like picking up sticks for a guy. He's like, sorry, I can't pay you $2 to pick up sticks. I guess I'm gonna have to do it myself because the government won't let me. 
I can't give you my money because if I do, the government will literally come here and like throw me in prison for not giving you $7.25 an hour to pick up sticks, right? And so say, say we increase the minimum wage to $15. Instantly what would happen is a business owner would have to look at his employ, employees and say, I'm sorry, I don't have the money to pay all of you. I guess I'm just going to have to keep a couple of you and the rest are going to have to be without a job because I can only pay so much. The government is, is forcing me to not be able to pay lower than that, right? And this leads to inflation too, which is another form of theft because the less valuable money gets, the, the less you can do with it. There's a little bit of a rant here. Give me one second. Did you guys know that the government prints out money just kind of willy-nilly. Yeah. They just keep printing money. Print a lot of money. You know what that does to the American dollar? It makes it less valuable. So your $1, which was worth $1, is now worth 75 cents, right? And prices keep getting higher and higher and higher. This is why back in my father's day, right, you could get like a candy bar for like 25 cents, 16 cents, right? But nowadays you'd be lucky to get a candy bar for $1. This is like, and, and I'm, I'm like being serious guys. This maybe sounds a little like silly, but this is theft. That's what it is, right? Cause the government kind of just arbitrarily deciding to print out more money because they have debt problems that they caused. And so we are paying for it because we'd have less money now because of the money they printed. This is a serious issue. This is theft. This is, God hates it, right? So it's, it's amazing too how biblical principles of justice time, tend to line up with the ways economics actually work. So a business owner should be allowed to pay people what he thinks is fair between them, right? And the person agrees to whatever the wage they think is fair. A person who has more skills is worth more and will be paid more for doing a job that is worth more. That's just the way economics work. So, and this can be extrapolated out in a couple of different ways, right? When the government takes money from people through an income tax, which is basically just saying, you made money, we're gonna take some of it. That's, there's no other reason really. It's just, you made money, so we are entitled to that, I guess. Inheritance tax. So you have a lot of money to give to your relatives. We think it's too much money. We're just gonna take some of that. Property tax, you own a house, you should pay us, <laughs> right? That's basically what it is. And it's all these underhanded ways. And we've, we've gotten more and more and more and more of these as the government has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and gone farther and farther away from what God has allowed government to do that we have all these sorts of situations where the government is essentially saying, you don't own your stuff. We, the all powerful government, get to tell you what you can and can't do with it. When the government makes all these rules and regulations about what people can do with their own property, they're saying, you don't own your stuff, we do. So what's the government doing when they do this? Well, not following God's law, as we've kind of seen. Taking other people's money without their consent is called theft. Telling them what they can't do with their own stuff is also called theft. But what they're doing is they're trying to take place of God in this relationship between property and you. So. In real life, right, God owns the stuff 
and he stewards it out to people. He delegates it to people, right? He says, okay, I, I created the world. You can have it. But the government is trying to take that position. They're saying, we own all the stuff. Here, you can have some. But we still kind of own it, and we're going to take some of it. That's the, God, that's the job that only God should have. The, the government only ha has a very particular job, according to God's law, enforce justice, so to make sure that the person who was stolen from, like Hannah Jacobs, is paid back, like restitution, and to defend the community, right? If someone attacks the community, they're like, all right, organize militia. They're not given the authority to decide what people can and can do with their property. They're just not. There's no biblical mandate anywhere for anyone, for the government to be able to look at anyone's thing and say, here's what you can and can't do with it. If not, if you don't do it, you pay us money. It's not that you, like, I don't know, pay back the people you harmed when you did that thing. It's just pay us money, and then I guess we'll redistribute it somehow, very inefficiently. But okay. So our current culture is just kind of okay with this. We've kind of accepted it. It's not that we can do much about it in our current situation, right? It's like, what are we going to do? Revolution against the government? Um, yes. I mean, but we accept it as normal, right? So thing I want to preface this with, I mean, I'm sure some of you are kind of like, okay, Kale, why are you going on this rant about the government? I, I don't understand. Stay with me, right? The point I'm making is if we don't follow God's law in our community as well as our personal lives, injustice is bound to follow. If we don't hold to the standard of God's law in every area of everything, of life, in, in the, the community, in the family, in your personal lives, in the church, in the state, injustice is going to happen because God made rules and they're good rules. And if we don't follow those rules, we're following someone else's rules, which are by, by default worse than God's rules. So we need to conform every area of our society to God's standards. But the question is, how do we do that? Right? What can we do to do that? First place we got to go is Romans 13, right? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities of our ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Of course, we need to respect the governing authorities because God is still sovereign. He decreed that they would be there. We have to remember, that does not mean we blindly do whatever the government says, and accept what they decide is right must be right. Instead, we need to be out there in our culture proclaiming the gospel because when Jesus changes hearts, he shows us the sin in our lives and that can happen with people in the government too. The only way this changes, the only way this shifts is through the gospel. 
When people realize that they are sinners, they take a hard look at their sin and they start to see where they've fallen short. And I bet you a person who has maybe been in like the IRS and has seen the, the amount of money that is just stolen from people every single year, without their consent, and becomes a Christian, they might look at that and be like, wow, I don't know if this is okay. And they start to look at God's law and they start to say, wow, what we're doing is wrong. Because, right, like it says in, in Romans 13, we should obey the government, but it says, if you don't want to fear the government, do what is good. Is it good to steal from people? No, don't do it. And that's, a, that's an example from your own lives, right? Personally, you need to start by following God's law in your own life. And then you start by following God's law in your family. And then it moves to following God's law in your church. And then the church goes out and they preach the gospel to all nations. And then the, and then the people in the communities, they realize we need to follow the, the God's law in our state. We need to follow God's law everywhere because God is king. He rules. We have to do what he says and not what we just arbitrarily decide is okay. The church's job is to be a prophetic voice to our culture and to tell them what God's law says. This was the function of every prophet in the Old Testament. They saw the ways that, they, that the, Israel, like the Israelite government was stealing from people and they said, that's wrong. Stop it. And, and that is something that we as, as the church today are like very neglecting. That's our job. We are the prophetic voice that the world needs to hear to see where we're not living up to God's standards. We need to go to the government as the church and say, stop it. Does that mean we revolt against the government? No. We don't, use, we don't do the same things the world does. We don't just kill people for no reason. We don't, we don't do a violent revolt. We are, one of my favorite verses is, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. There's a point about like, victory in Christ, but it's also a point about the methods that we use as Christians. We don't conquer through violence. Jesus didn't come as a political king. He didn't come with a sword to conquer everyone in the land and just basically just decide right through violence, now I own you. No, God conquers through the gospel. He conquers hearts in a much more effective way, completely transforming their lives instead of forcing them to do what he wants them to do by the sword he gives them the desire to do it in themselves, and then they do it because they love him. Right? God's law says theft is wrong in any of these forms. We need to be standing firm on that fact and not just accepting what culture tells us okay. Right? Love is still the fulfilling of the law, and love does not steal. So let's wrap this up. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Theft is a really serious sin. Like, I mean, any of the sins. They're all serious. But it has a really serious solution. Just like a thief can be made right with the community, 
by paying restitution for what they stole, a thief can be made right with God because Jesus paid the restitution that we absolutely never could. We could have worked for eternity and not been able to pay it off. But Jesus paid all of it for us as his people on the cross, and so we can be restored to fellowship with God. And that means we get to inherit the kingdom of God along with Jesus. It says in Ephesians 4.28, last point here, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for giving us these standards, for showing us what your law says and how to live it. But Lord, thank you so very much for giving us the power to follow it, for enabling us to follow it through your Holy Spirit, because we can never follow it just on our own power. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to convict us of the areas in our own life where we may be being inconsistent with your law. We're looking at these laws, Lord, as we're going through the series, and we're saying, God, I, I'm so sorry. I'm not following this commandment. I'm slipping in this area. I'm, I'm, I'm compromising in this part of my life. Lord, break down our walls, break down the barriers between you and us, and, and enable us through your Holy Spirit to follow your law to, to serve you, to glorify you with everything that we do, and to be a voice in our culture that is so far from you, telling them what is good and what is just and what is holy, and the way that they can be made right with you as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, there it is, my patch sermon on Thou Shalt Not Steal. Hope it blessed you, hope it challenged you, hope it gave you some things to think about. We'll be back soon with another bonus episode here on The Christian Artist. Thanks.